Hi, Steve Addison here for the Movements Podcast. The podcast for people who want to multiply disciples and churches everywhere. Today we're going to talk to Jimmy Siebert of the Antioch Movement about his journey in multiplying disciples and churches. in America and was reading that passage where Jesus said we're to love him with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind and all of our strength and love our neighbors as ourselves. And I looked around and I said, man, I don't know anybody that loves God with all their heart. And I looked at myself and said, and I am one of those. Um, And so uh, after a little bit of a, a difficult trial at the end of my second year of university, I, um, I said, okay, I'm going to take a summer and find out who God really is. And I just kind of set aside everything in my life that I could label that was not righteous or holy or of God and said, I'm going to start in the book of Matthew and I'm going to read a chapter a day and whatever Jesus said to do, I'm going to do and whatever Jesus uh, 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 did himself, I'm going to try to emulate that. And so uh, the only funny thing about that is I had never fully read the gospel, so I didn't know what I was getting myself into. Um, but I started with the book of Matthew and simply would read a chapter a day, pray, and, and then apply it. I jokingly say by chapter six, I had given away about everything I had, had forgiven everybody I hadn't planned on forgiving, and my life was getting transformed by the simple words of Jesus and then obeying and following those words. Well, as you can imagine, after three months, my life had just transformed. And I came back to university and shared that with a couple of friends. And uh, while we're talking, a friend comes in who didn't really know the Lord. And he said, what are you guys doing? And so we're just talking about Jesus and all he's doing in our lives. And he begins to just unburden his heart. And immediately we just begin to pray for him again, not not any of us really having any knowledge of what to do. We just know we had met with Jesus. So we lay hands on the guy, pray for him. And then that night, people just begin to trickle in our apartment. That particular event would start happening every night for weeks on end, uh, literally every night. And we were in the middle of a move of God. And, um, um, and it started with this simple surrender to Jesus, simple desire for obedience and hunger for him well in the middle of that uh a friend uh we're, we're out biking one day um and in the middle of this move of god we're experiencing and uh, we're talking about what do we do with all this that god's doing in our lives and uh, he said have you ever heard of missions and i said well you know vaguely not really uh what is it and he said well you know, missions is when you tell people about jesus who've never heard uh, around the world I said, great. Do you know anybody that knows anything about it? And he said, well, let's go over to this church tomorrow and ask around. So long story short, we go to this church and this college gathering, university gathering inside the church. And they say, hey, we have a missionary here from Thailand that wants to answer the question, what is missions? Hmm. And so we're like, perfect. This is great. So the guy shares Matthew 28, 19 and 20, kind of shares his own story. 
at the end, we go up to affirm him and tell him how excited we are about being a part of the Great Commission. And he says, I don't know why I'm saying this. But he said, I have a friend who lives in Papua New Guinea who looks for lost tribes and especially cannibal tribes who've not yet heard the gospel. This was the mid-1980s. And he would love some college students to join him this summer. And we said, we're in. Well, to fast forward, we ended up in Papua New Guinea that summer. And we would go into villages that had never heard uh, the gospel. And through translation and through time, we saw whole villages come to the Lord. We saw the New Testament come alive, the book of Acts real because if the power of jesus was not greater than the power of the witch doctor uh, then you know it wasn't valid it wasn't real to them and uh you know we just saw movements like you see in the book of acts or in the new testament happening throughout new guinea and i was ruined for the ordinary so i had one last part and then that'll get us into our discussion practically but um there was another gentleman who uh, had worked a lot with Brother Andrew and Open Doors, uh, had been in and out of the Eastern Bloc, uh, really a great man of faith, uh, at that time was overseeing about 80 churches around the world. And he would invite college students over uh, and would just tell stories of God's greatness and God's work around the world. And then he would talk to us about the power of the church. We'd go through the New Testament and he would just give us faith to believe that the church could be the church again in all of its fullness and uh, everybody engaged and equipping people to do the work of ministry and all that great stuff that we see in the new testament and he would put story to it and so we would uh sit and look at these lunches and believe that god could do anything so kind of three things happened fell in love with jesus surrendered to him in obedience to his word I fell in love with a world that didn't know him from the beginning experience. And then I fell in love with the church. And um, out of that, Laura and I began to ask, okay, what do we do? So we put a little proposal together. What would it look like to train and send people out of the local church uh, to go plant churches to change the world? And that, that is the background. Mm. You know, when we talk about movements, you know, they always say there's a story behind the story. It's mm. this absolute surrender to Jesus. It's this clarity of, about the lost, and it's this passion for the church to be the church, as we see in the book of Acts and throughout church history, where it's been vibrant, multiplying, and and engaging. Yeah. So, so, so the reason I always give that context is because it wasn't about reading a book on what you should do or, um, kind of the latest fad or, or expression of church, it really was a very real New Testament encounter, right? It's, it's about Jesus always um, loving him. It's about uh, people who don't know him and being uh, committed to doing whatever it takes that people might hear and know. And then obviously the vehicle of the kingdom of God is this thing called the church, the New Testament church. So what does that look like? How do we live that out? So as we kind of started off the journey, I had another uh, interesting thing happen. I ran into Floyd McClung of YWAM, so I'm like 21. Let's say he's 40 or something. And, um, and I asked him as a young leader, you know, what do I need to know about making my life impact others, et cetera? And he said, one thing I know is that you've got to look at life 
uh, as you as if you are working yourself out of every job you have all the time. So you're always investing in people and asking them to invest in people so that you're always multiplying your life. Another thing I had was with Campus Crusade uh, in college was the famous Bill Bright, three will invest in three, will invest in three, the whole world will be just the optimization of my own life. You know, it is how do I multiply my life? So all these years, um, whether we were doing uh, cell church or house church or G12 or church planning movements or disciple making movements, whatever the latest kind of, you know, terminology is, what we always did was say, all right, who are you investing in intentionally in such a way that they're investing others? Uh, both in evangelism and discipleship, so that we're always having a multiplied uh, life through our intentional investment in others. So with that basis, you know, with that framework, it's allowed us to be fruitful no matter what kind of the latest teaching is, the latest strategic insight on how to multiply movement. And, and, And actually, I try to evaluate you know, the latest books, the latest thoughts, latest ideas, um, not just on culture, but all right, is this is this consistent with what we see in the scriptures? Because a lot of times books are written passionately about one dimension, right? They're, we're restoring something. So if somebody writes a book on prayer, it's all about prayer. If somebody writes a book on disciple making, it's all about disciple making. If somebody writes a book on church planting, it's all about house church or it's all about the gathering or it's all about, you know, Jesus uh, in uh, church in the workplace or whatever. Yeah. And, and my deal is, is we need every one of those. And I've, I've uh, benefited greatly by passionate work on each of those, what I call circles of church. But biblically, all of those are expressions of the kingdom of God through the church. So how do we stay centered while we're pursuing passionately? Um, for lack of a better term, trying to be right, you know, trying to get it right. Uh, and, and so these, these principles I'm talking about have really carried me no matter what. Yeah, so we, we started a little missions training school, and we, we, uh, we, under these basic values, we said, what if people actually prayed? You know, uh, we actually did it. What if we actually shared our faith on a daily basis? What if we actually discipled people intentionally said they're discipling others. What if we actually um, believed the Bible, read it, and applied it every area of our lives obediently? What if we did it in the context of community? <clears throat> so we got this little training school together, and we said, man, if we did those things, I bet we could change the world. And so we started off with kind of an intense environment where people could volunteer to be a part of this school for a year. And we did nine months uh, in the city and three months overseas. And it was kind of a format of all those basic values, us working through those in the morning time, going out in the afternoon and applying those through evangelism and discipleship, mentoring and training people how to do that in our own city. And then we would go overseas for two and a half to three months. And we'd work through local churches or work uh, through initiatives around the world and try to figure that out. So, We learned those first four or five years. Then in 91, we began uh, to plant churches when Russia opened up. Uh, We really felt called to do that. So um, literally, you know, we are reading books 
books on the airplane and reading the Bible and trying to figure out how to plant churches as we um, kind of dropped ourselves into Siberia and began the church planting process. Um, but we had that background of these basic values. We had seen healthy church reproduce. Uh -huh. So it wasn't, it wasn't, it was, you had to adapt to culture and language, mm -hmm. but the values of the scriptures remain the same. Yeah. So when the window of opportunity opened up, you and those you're involved in and training were, were ready. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, a, if I could say anything to everyone, you know, it's kind of that deal about um, a friend of mine <clears throat> always says, we pray as the church or the open door for God to move in a country or among a people. And then it happens and we're not ready, you know? So uh, we get surprised as if a door's opened. And the key obviously is our personal walk with Jesus in those basic values of the kingdom. Hey, me and Jesus, am I, am I abiding and living and up to date with him? Um, who am I investing in and as the lifestyle who doesn't know Jesus and helping them get there? Or who am I discipling and teaching to reproduce their life? How am I doing that in the context of community? How are we being salt and light through the church? If you get those things as normative in your life, then you're ready for anything. You can endure anything and you're ready uh, to be effective when those moments in history come, those doors open. Um, and by this this time, are you um, at Antioch? Has that come into existence? Hmm. So it, uh, I jokingly said we did a little backwards. We started this missions training school in another church, and then I became, uh, Laura and I, became the college pastors in uh, 90, and that allowed us to see several hundred students kind of become a stock pond for what we wanted to do mm -hmm. to plant churches. Then we started planting churches among the unengaged unreached, mainly Siberia, Mongolia, uh, Uzbekistan, et cetera. We started sending teams to plant churches. And then in 99, we became a church ourselves. So from missions to young adult, young students, to church planting among the unreached, all in the context of another local church. And then they blessed us and sent us out and we became a church. So when we became kind of a mothership, if you will, church, we had uh, almost 12 years of community and people ready to go. So we were able to then translate it from kind of young people, young adults, young families to kind of birth to death journey of basic values of the kingdom and disciple making. And that's what birthed Antioch Community Church uh, here in America. Uh, alongside the workers. Well, I think, I think Steve, really, my main passion these days and or observation, is, let's go back to these basic values. Um, one of the things that I, uh, I, you know, taking the kind of the passionate church planning movements, church planning values, all that stuff, um, I've kind of reduced it to what I call the five circles of church. Mm -hmm. And that's how we kind of evaluate locally. That's how I'm evaluating our work around the world all the time. And, and that is this, if I could put a little continuum on it, and I'm happy to send you a little diagram of it, but you got the me and Jesus circle. How many people in our fellowship are actually meeting with Jesus meaningfully in world, word, worship, and prayer? What does that look like? 
to the extent that that is healthy is to the extent that we are healthy as a local community uh, and able to reproduce our lives. So the me and Jesus circle. The second circle is two and three in Jesus. How many people in our church and our uh, local church are intentionally discipling people? And this is the key word so that the people they're investing in are investing in somebody else. That, that multiplying factor, how many people are doing that and investing in one to three people who don't know Jesus, bringing them kind of the pre-discipleship journey. That's circle number two, two and three in Jesus. Circle number three is uh, the Acts 2, 42 to 47, the, the, the house church model. So that community that extends beyond just me and Jesus or just two and three in Jesus what does it look like to be community, to live out all those precepts in Acts 2, 42 to 47? That will always be the heart of the community, the heart of a movement, and the heart of a church. What I uh, want to encourage people with is, is, is that as we talk about even disciple-making, disciple-making also happens in the context of community, not apart from community. So you've got that third circle, and, and I'm just speaking biblically, Book of Acts and the life we all want to live scripturally. So you've got me and Jesus, two and three, and Jesus house to house. And then the fourth circle is the gathering, right? They met in the temple and house to house. And the gathering's kind of taken a beating, you know, by us purists at times. Um, and, it's, and, and totally understand people have pulled away from those first three circles. We're not if we're not helping people meet with Jesus, if we're not helping people be disciples and make disciples, if we're not doing an authentic community house-to-house Acts 2, then the gathering really does take over. But if all those things are happening and you're gathering to celebrate all that God's doing, there's an opportunity there for an extended family, for an extended strengthening of the body, for the Ephesians for equipping and empowering of others. Uh, there's biblical underpinning for the gathering. You know, I always talk about when people uh, are kind of deconstructing the gathering, which again, there's some legitimate issues we need to address to make that healthy. But there were 120 people gathered at the day of Pentecost. Hmm. It wasn't two or three. It wasn't, uh, you know, it wasn't 12 to 15 in a small group. It was 120, Hmm. you know, or Jesus would speak to the multitude, 5,000 men, the competing of 5,000, which was probably 15 to 20,000 people. This isn't like unbiblical. Uh, if we're talking about scripture, you see gatherings. Now, how you do it, and, and is it life-giving and kingdom-oriented, and is it empowering people, equipping them to do the work in ministry? That's, that's our deal to wrestle with. But it is a biblical um, expression of, of Jesus uh, through the church. And then that last circle for me and for us as a community is impact in the world. And that is, um, are, are we seeing everybody out missionally in every sphere, uh, in every location, every vocation? Because without that, we're never going to see um, world evangelism happen. So 99.5% of the world is non-vocational ministry uh, where they're getting their daily bread. So they must be empowered I believe they are the central to the mission uh, in and through the church. So those five circles are what I have really kind of come to after 32 years of biblical undergirding and scripture for each of those circles and the health of our church or the health of our movement or the health of our uh, uh, 
um, construct, whatever it is, you can go to each of those circles and you're only as healthy as each of those are healthy. And if, if, if one of those is flagging, you will find a movement flagging. So that is how I kind of look at things locally. That's how I look at things in our uh, tougher environments, say in the Middle East or something else. Um, but that's kind of kind of become our evaluation tool and the things that we were constantly working on you know, to like try to on get the, better. On the sphere side, um, I can speak to it locally where um, we all moved in, uh, not all, several of us moved into a neighborhood that was the number one crime district in our city. And I said, hey, no programs, no government grants, no uh, we're just going to love our neighbors. And if there's a problem inside of your, your Acts 2 community, inside of your life group, house church, whatever word you want to use, pray with the people that are with you and ask them what God wants you to do. So anyway, the long and short of it, out of that, we found that there was needs for mentoring, just helping kids how to read. Our school was the number one uh, underperforming school. And over several years, and especially the last five years, uh, we've tracked the data on this, and this little public school went from the bottom to the top and became a model for other schools. And so we uh, are mentoring of these kids, which was we mentored uh, and made available every uh, every kid in the school. And we've multiplied it out now, and there's 43 churches working with this whole school district and has transformed it and become a model for education, for addressing education issues in our city and other inner cities, uh, you know, like it. So that's a that's a cool deal where the church, um, it, our presence, the multiplying presence, even the disciple making principles could be engaged into the community for the betterment or transformation of society. Um, another piece would be, of course, uh, business guys um, locally and around the world. Um, one of our guys uh, owns six different businesses. And instead of just getting a godly CEO of his company so that he could, you know, honor God with his resources, et cetera, he said, I'm going to make sure that that CEO is a disciple maker. If they're not a disciple maker, then I don't want to lead my company because I'm called to make disciples. And uh, first of all, he had a hard time finding those guys, you know, all these that have both the skills and the disciple-made bills, but he's finding them. And he is very intentionally praying for, marking off everybody in his business. And then now I have him going around to a couple locations nationally and teaching our guys how to do it. And then his background was he has spent several years in India working that out as well. And so the way we look at things, whether it's in the spheres, whether it's uh, medical, education, healthcare, politics, even um, sports, et cetera, is let's build models locally that we can then reproduce nationally and then we can uh, reproduce internationally. So that's always my deal. City, nation, nations. If God's done something in you, let's affect our city for in a healthy way. Then let's say, how do we multiply that to our nation and how we do that to nations? So those are, that's how we think. Uh, that's how we're working. We have a few uh, kind of hero stories, but we're trying to make it normative where everybody senses that they are on mission, whether it's the 
mom in the neighborhood or whether it's the kid on the sports field or whether it's the uh, CEO on Wall Street, um, we are expressing the, the glory of God by simple disciple making and uh, kingdom values being lived out. Um, we have in the U.S., and we have today, uh, 42 U.S. churches, and those would be kind of local churches that have training schools that are equipped to multiply disciples and all that good stuff. And then uh, internationally, I think we're like about at 85 and like 43 different countries. Um, and some of these are small movements and some of these are very large. And so, um, yeah, the, but they're, but the, the main deal with each of these locations is they're not just um, built to be a church. They're built to be uh, disciple making. Uh, and again, not in the book, disciple-making movements, but in the sense of multiplying, reproducing communities, missional communities. So um, again, some of these are very involved house church movements. Some of these are kind of hub and spoke apostolic centers. And and uh, we're just trying to work it all out. And keep yeah, it. you know, um, okay. I, I, am, I am really, I mean, this is a bit bold, but uh, if you don't pray big, uh, you... You, I think you don't get into the above and beyond all that God could ask or think. And what I'm asking is, Lord, in my lifetime, would you allow us somehow to affect a billion people who have never heard? And so much of that these days is exciting partnerships with large um, groups of church planting, church planting organizations, um, and you know, teaching and training and helping and multiplying. But I really believe it's such a unique window right now where people all over the world, uh, I find, are sheep without a shepherd. And uh, there's not, you know, um, it, politically, things are unsettled in so many different ways. So there's nobody to totally rely on politically worldwide. Uh, the business stuff is flying in every direction. But, but boy, what does that mean for me? And how do I... Uh, make it or kind of social issues, except everything seems to be in turmoil. So I am so excited about this window uh, for the church being the church. And everywhere I go, I find that people are hungry and ready. And so um, we're believing to be a part of that. And I am praying, Lord, uh, let us see a billion people come into the kingdom, get this disciple to reproduce their lives. You know, there's just, there's so much going on right now on the deconstruction of the church. Yeah. And, and I am really passionate about us constructing the church. Yeah. Um, it, it takes so much effort mm. to be faithful and consistent in my own devotional life, to mm. simply invest in two or three people in an intentional way to, don't know the Lord or who need uh, disciple making so they can reproduce their lives to lead healthy communities that are multiplying and reproducing to keep my eye on the ball of those who've never heard, make sure that we're engaging the unengaged of the earth, man, that takes so much energy that I believe we are wasting valuable, valuable heart and mind energy in trying to be perfectly right. Yeah. You know, uh, and I I would just admonish all of us, hey, these simple values of the kingdom, uh, Genesis to Revelation, obviously in the New Testament, from the life of Jesus, 
let's just do as much as we can to give our hearts to Jesus, invest in people, reach the lost, um, multiply uh, communities, missional communities, which we call the church, and and not throw each other under the bus while we're doing it. I mean, golly, we just need all the best energy by the Holy Spirit to invest in the stuff that matters and loving Jesus, loving people and multiplying our lives. That is central to our calling, to God's desire for us. And in this hour, people are too hungry for we as Christian leaders to spend hours upon hours uh, critiquing one another till the day is long versus, hey, let's just lock arms everywhere we can. If we disagree, let's bless each other and let's be about multiplying the Before you go, I should let you know that from uh, late September to mid-October 2019, I'm going to be in 10 cities in the United States uh, talking about uh, the rise and fall of movements, a roadmap for leaders, the new book that I've got out. If you'd like to know more about the tour, just go to movements.net. I'm Steve Addison for the Movements Podcast.